um, and just to make sure everybody, the, the preacher's not uh, perfect, that uh, there are several times as we sang the first song uh, today, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, that I got in trouble on Sunday nights in our service when that song was sung because I began a leaning chorus in our student ministry section that every time we said leaning, we started leaning one way and then the other. And I could just see the music minister up there with his hand in a grimace on his face, like you had better quit it. But I was just, when we're all doing it, I'm not, you know, it's like, hey, we're all in it, right? I might've started it, but we're all doing it now. And so it was hard for me not to just start into that. Uh, but it was a great reminder to me of Gene Chapel uh, very angrily with his curly, uh, Afro looking at me and like, stop that now. Um, and so, yeah, just some, yeah, I, I, I was a teenager and I like to do teenager things, which is stir up things. So next time we sing that song, I'm not, not be surprised if Katie starts singing, swaying back and forth, right? To show the leaning. There we go. So, um, but uh, then moved on and reminded of a truth we have been talking about for a long time as we talked about God, sung about God building our life, right? And that phrase in, that, in the song that said, I will build my life on your love, which is a firm foundation. Think of the things that we build our lives in and how we build our life and to think of it built on the love of God, right? Uh, not the, which is, there's all kinds of things of God we could start putting that with it, right? The power of God, the wrath of God, the strength of God. Um, there's something about when we say the love of God is our foundation that everything else comes from, that everything else springs from. And so I think of that as we head into this discussion we've been going on and we're gonna continue on, which is this idea and thought and rhythm of Sabbath. What does it mean to rest? What does it mean for us to uh, have a time away with God, to be um, really enjoying his presence, to say, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm happy, I'm at home here. So we have seen this word Sabbath has several different meanings. There's four different ones that we're, we're looking at. The first one is to stop. Sabbath means to stop, means to cease doing something, means to not do. To, to stop from what you've been doing and move on to something else. It's to create a pause, right? To make a day set aside. We see Jesus talking about that. He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so even in that, there is this reality that Sabbath as this stop isn't a penalty, but it's something that we need, that is a good thing, right? When we say if you have to stop, you have to slow down, it's like, wait, I'm doing something wrong. I have to slow down. Like, I'm penalized. It's keeping me out of something. Instead, it's a gift that he is giving us to stop. We talked a few weeks ago about rest, right? And that's probably the most, uh, one of the most associated things with this idea of Sabbath is resting. Is that I would rest. It's like everybody thinks mostly about naps, right? Like, and I that sounds like a great picture of Sabbath. I just want to rest, and how often in our culture we talk about tiredness, being tired, being worn out, needing rest. But again, I can't stop because stopping's bad. 
and I can't rest because I can't do that, but yet that is the picture of this word. It is okay for us to rest. Uh, and since our last gathering here, uh, a lot that we have done, Jill and I, uh, and then I myself, we were at a spiritual, um, a, a soul care retreat a couple of weeks ago. And at that, as we're talking about rest, and my one line that I got out of that, and this is how God just starts working thing together, things together, was if I were to one line summarize it, is rest, my beloved son. And one of the things that was brought up in our discussions there by someone else in thinking about resting, Sabbathing, having time alone with God, was think about the creation story. Where were Adam and Eve create, created inside of the creation story? What day? Anybody know? Day six. If you were to think of the day, the order of the things created on day six, where were they created? They're, they're the last thing that's listed in the creation story, right? If you go back and read it, it's going through there. There's created. I'll read it just so that you're not going, Rain, are you sure? The last thing created on, uh, we'll, we'll read it here in a second too as we go on, but I'll, it's not yet in my notes, but I, we're getting there. And it says on uh, verse 28, and God blessed them. Oh, sorry, verse uh, 20, 26 said, let us make, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So he's created all these things and now he's created humans to rule over everything, to be over everything. So in this picture of creation, what happens there is they're created at the end of that day, the picture here, right? So if just follow along with that picture. So the first full day of existence for Adam and Eve is the Sabbath. He didn't start them off on the beginning and say, you got to got a lot of work to do. He gave them this commission to go be fruitful and multiply, have dominion, subdue the earth, and then he rested. Because it'd be like, that's like what none of us want to do, right? If I got something to go do, the last thing I want to do is take a rest, is to take a pause, is to stop. It's like, I've been given this, I need to go. But I think this picture for us is helpful because that is the way he created us to live out of this. Everything was gonna flow out here. Here is your call, here's where you're to go. Live out of this rest from here on out. And I, I want to hear this today because I know as we continue to discuss this, this is not about creating. If you don't have 24 hours that is God's and God's alone where you sit and you don't do anything, then you're not Sabbathing. Wrong. That is not what we're trying to talk about here. The reality is that in, with anything else that we would be giving to God what is rightly his and we, as we steward it, and that we would walk in that. Again, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The idea there is that we don't have to just follow these rules and do this stuff if it is not beneficial, caring, needing for us. So we can do all this stuff, right? I can sit and lay and do nothing and not be resting and certainly not be with Jesus in that. And I can be in my everyday life and be with Jesus as well, right? So what I wanna press us into as we walk into this is to think through where we have been and talking about this. 
and let God do the work that he's trying to do in our hearts. Because I think this is probably a little bit different for every one of us. So I just, I, I wanna come across and saying like, I'm not trying to create a blanket rule or I don't feel like we need a blanket rule that looks this way, but I do want to envision and dream what would a people of God look like that Sabbathed together, that had a way of life that was about rest, not about how much we did. That was about being satisfied in God and that people who were running this race and going, like we love those verses, right? Run the race, the mark before you. Like, yes, I wanna go run that race. I wanna nonstop and go. What if in that race, there is a pause, there is a slowdown, there is a rest so that we can continue moving forward. So that's where we're going today as we look through this, that we might live out of that. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller. It says, because the world is full of ugly things, we need a Sabbath to feed our soul with beauty. Do you think of any ugly things that have happened in our world just in the last 24 hours, just in the state of Texas, just around the corner from us? If you haven't seen news, some horrible stuff happened in Allen, Texas yesterday. It's gut-wrenching and saddening. It is a ugly, heinous-looking thing. And we need the Sabbath to feed our soul with beauty. The world is full of ugliness, systematic injustice, war, violence, poverty, so many things. We could, the list could go on, right? We can look around and see it, the brokenness, the need all around us. But in the Genesis story we read, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. That very good there is tov in Hebrew and it can also be translated beautiful and it was very beautiful. But all too often, the goodness and beauty of life with God and his world is eclipsed by what Paul says in the New Testament, the kingdom of darkness. It's the fallout of that post-Eden world, the mess and the brokenness. It's what we see all around us. It's what we encounter day in and day out in the brokenness of others affecting us and the brokenness in the world around us. And I would say there is a, an exacerbation of this, right, because of our digital age, because of this 24-7 news cycles, we're fed constantly, force-fed more and more fear and rage, right? That's why some don't even have, I, I can't even tell you the last time I watched a newscast. I certainly, and I won't even get into my disdain for weathermen and their desire to make us just fearful every time there's a cloud in the sky. I can't. Lord is working on my heart with Jim Spencer. He has worked on my heart for years. And I'm like, Jim, when I see you on the TV, I can't because you're just thinking you're, you're excited for a tornado or a hailstorm. No, I don't like it. But it's the same in the news, right? We get there and we start watching it and we see this diet over and over of fear-based. It's not left or right, but it's all the worst things in the world over and over and over again. I love what Jim Krasinski did going into um, COVID. Like when everybody's stuck at their, oh, John Krasinski, Jim, he's Jim, but he's John Krasinski, he's the same thing. 
Uh, it's a mixture of those two worlds. Um, as we went into COVID and we're all just like sitting in our houses and everything is bad and he just began his good news podcast, like good news videos. and just like sharing good things that were going on. That's all it was. It was like joy and laughter and happiness and amazing things. And some of us can see that and like, well, that's not real either. You know what? But we're in inundated with the negative. As a result, uh, and through social media, we're living in the epitome of what Teddy Roosevelt said, the comparison is the thief of joy. We are constantly exposed to a curated version of another person's happiness, right? Social media or whatever you might be looking at, all the amazing things they're doing, and all we see is what they have and what we don't. So we certainly it's exacerbated in this digital age, but it didn't begin here. Even if you were to travel back in time, pre-digital, pre-24-7 news, we would not find utopia. We would find a world with modern medicine, uh, without modern medicine or sanitation, or a steady food supply where famine, plague, and war regularly tore through society where life expectancy was decades lower than it is today, where it was normal to lose loved ones, especially children's or to, uh, children or to be widowed and left alone, much of the world is still this way. The point is that the digital age distorts our vision of the world to make life look a lot worse than it actually is, but even if we could see the world accurately, it would still be full of ugly things. Jesus himself said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. We will have trouble. We live in that already, not yet, right? Jesus has come, has promised the kingdom, but we live and see the brokenness. You see trouble, and with it, sorrow is also inevitable in our life. No matter your uh, genetic wiring, some of you the, half, the glass half full, some of you the glass half empty, some of you uh, uh, understanding and thinking everything's gonna be great, and others you thinking of the worst case scenario, no matter where we are at in that, we still deal with this reality that sorrow is inevitable. It's a part of our life, but it is not the whole story or the whole human experience. Jesus also said, these things I have spoken to you, John 15, 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full that your joy may be full. Other translations say that your joy may overflow. You know the feeling when you're so full of joy that you can't contain it all? It's like it has to spill out in a shout or a dance or a round of applause. Have you felt that kind of joy before? The level of joy is Jesus with you, is as his apprentice. It's his desire for you as one who follows him. The problem we deal with is what? Sorrow is inevitable, joy is not. We, we know the sorrow is coming, joy is not inevitable. Sorrow will come and visit your life and here's the problem and the reality, it's with or without your permission. I don't get to choose when that happens. But joy, we often have to choose and keep choosing it over and over and over again. How often have you encountered what should be a joyful situation but sorrow overwhelms it? Right? Rarely have I been in a joyful situation that is not overcome by whatever sorrow might enter. Even sometimes the smallest sorrow overcomes a great amount of joy. 
And so in this, this is a reality that we work through this and understand there's a way to help us live in this. In scripture, the word joy is both a noun and a verb, which is translated in English as rejoice, but literally means to joy. Let's joy. If you were to look at a biblical theology of joy, you're going to discover it's three things. If you were to make your Venn diagram, right? They're overlapping. Three things. Feeling, a condition, and a discipline. It's all of those things. Contrary to what we hear in most of our church circles, that happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness is based on your circumstances, but joy is not. If you do a word study on joy and happiness in the scripture, you'll find that they're interchangeably used. Yes, there is joy from God that, does, uh, that goes around our circumstances, but there's also a joy that we experience when life is as it should be. A feeling that you're in your body when all is well, but joy is also a condition. It's a character trait. It's not just a feeling that comes and goes, but the kind of person you become through following Jesus. We become joyful because we can look at him and we can see the foundation of our building is his love. And that begins to translate and change other things. In Galatians 5, joy is the second fruit of the Spirit after love. In classical language, it's a virtue, just like wisdom or courage or fortitude. It must be developed as such, which is why joy is also a discipline. There are times when joy is easy, right? The natural emotional response to the circumstance of your life, a wedding day, when you receive good news, that first beautiful day of spring where it's cold enough to be enjoyable outside and not 100% humidity, and you're like this, I wanna be out here all day. You just follow Mindy's feet, she'll tell you when that day is. It's awesome. <laughs> like, I love it, it's joy, it really is. Like, you're like, this is the best day ever, I love it. And I'm like, I gotta make sure I get outside and not sit on my kitchen table today. Love it. It's a discipline. And there are times when joy is a sheer act of obedience to Jesus. A discipline to index your heart toward the good. Richard Foster calls this the discipline of celebration. And he said it this way, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our heads that it is a result of, the conscious, of consciously choose, uh, cho being cho uh, choosing a way of thinking and living. So to think of this this way, Sabbath is a discipline of celebration and a delivery mechanism for more joy in our life. It is one of the most important disciplines by which we become people who are full of joy like our God. Again, if our God image, our concept of God is that God is up there and just grumpy and unhappy all the time, this really has a hard time coming up against that than to think about, he looked at his creation and he said, that's beautiful, it brings me joy. I look at it and I delight in it. I delight in it. This week I got to see uh, brothers and sisters in our Soma family that lead other churches. I think of delight when I see their faces and we see each other. I think of a pastor in Culver City, Brad Watson, who just exudes joy. He's happy and he's leading these conversations and meetings that are not joyful. And he is super joyful because that's the joy that is in him. It is the joy of the Lord. 
So if we were to think back to the, last, the first two sessions of these four movements of Sabbath, the stop, rest, delight, and worship, the first two are more about what we don't do. You need to stop doing these things, right? Like, let's, let's take a moment, let's pause from this thing, let's rest from this need to have more, to get more, to be more. But these second two might be looked at as more of what we ought to do. And so that is to look at and think about this word Sabbath as in delight. So turn to Genesis, if you're already there, Genesis 1. We're going to end verse, uh, chapter 1 and go into chapter 2 and look at that today. Genesis 1, 31 through 2, verse 3. <clears throat> God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested, Sabbathed, from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested, he Sabbathed from all the work of creating that he had done. As we know, the word translated rested is Shabbat in Hebrew. And while literally means to stop or to rest, it also has this idea that God delighted in all of his work. The idea here is not that God was burned out and needed a break. He was like, I expended everything I have to get this going, and I just got to have a day here to recoup from this. That's not how God's entering the Sabbath. He he created it all. He stepped back and said, it is good. It is beautiful. And he rested. It's like, job well done. This is perfect. I love it. It's more like the feeling you get after a long, hard day of working in your yard. And you look back and go, yeah, there's a joy that is in that, completing those things where you get it all cleaned up and beautiful and you say, that's it. Or the feeling um, of a, when you complete a work project that has been months long and you throw a party with your team. Or you finish a hard season with someone uh, you're caring for and you just breathe for a while. That's the feeling of Sabbath. Notice also that God blessed the Sabbath day. The word here is Barak. To Barak can be translated to bless, but it can also mean to make happy. So he blessed the day or made the day happy. So to think again about Sabbath as a 24-hour period of time set aside to follow God's example to stop, rest, and delight, let's think about what this looks like to delight in God, to delight in Him. Think about throughout Scripture where it says delight. We read one of them today in Psalm 37. Delight in the Lord. Like when I, come, when I get up in the morning... And it's usually early for me. This is not a requirement for anyone else. But am I ready to go delight in Jesus? Some mornings I don't. I mean, I was like, I gotta, I'm going to do it. I got to do it. But when I meet God there, actually when he meets me there, because he's already there, and then I'm kind of like, oh, hey, you're here, and then I'm ready for this. And we, I, I, get there, like, I get in his word, and I all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, you, you do love me. When I say those things to remind myself I'm a loved son, that he cares for me, so 
Let your, uh, to let your mind focus on all that is very good in the earth, to curate a view of the world with special attention to the good, the beautiful and true. That's what it might look like to delight. To delight in, your, uh, in God's, uh, to delight in your life in God's word, it's so easy to lose sight of just how much goodness is in your life. Neuroscientists tell us now we're drawn to the negative over the positive at a rating of almost like 14 to one. We're so apt to look at the negative, right? If you were to sit down and say, tell me your good things and the bad things about you, our list of bad things is like to the floor, right? It's like I can just keep listing them all day long. So there's this reminder in our hearts that our brain is even like subjecting us to this like, oh, there's more to do. You're not enough. There's more and more and more. So on the Sabbath, we go against the survival instinct of our brain and we remember as Sabbath, the, as, as the Sabbath commanded, just how many blessings populate our life. That rhythm of reminding ourselves of God's evidences of God's grace in our life. This is how God has been at work. This is how God has been at work. Finally, we delight in God himself and, and the access we have through Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit into the inner life of the Trinity. We view all the practices, all the ways that God brings us closer to him, but especially Sabbath, we get to participate in the flow of love and joy and peace between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get to join in with that just by setting our life before God and lifting our heart to him in prayer. But many of us haven't learned how to enjoy God. We believe in him. We even learn from him. We fear him and obey him. But to delight in him? Would I be willing to delight in him? But the longer we follow Jesus, the more our life, of our life that we give to prayer, and especially through moments like Sabbath and silence, I think the more we will realize how incredibly good God is, that he radiates joy, that as we draw near to him, we draw near to all that our heart is aching for, full delight. Isn't it? I, I was gonna say funny, but it's not funny, it's like ironic, that the fullness of our life and joy is found in him, but yet it's the thing we have to like almost force ourselves into sometimes. We have to like, like make it happen. But yet he meets us there. Dan Allender in the book on Sabbath, which is a recommended reading for this if you're wanting to dig into this further, he has this insight. He says the Sabbath is, is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath when experienced as God intended is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we rest and feast and play and sing and laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in all of its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone in a week. Imagine if we just allowed ourselves to go, we're just gonna delight in God today, that's all we have to do. That's, that is the objective. And if I don't delight in God today, 
I'm not gonna, if it's not drawing me into delighting in him, I'm not gonna do it. Anybody, does that feel selfish for anybody? Like, I don't know, that seems like very self-indulgent to just delight in God all day long. Maybe another one to look at in this quote from Marva Dawn in her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, says this, Observe the sab- observing the Sabbath gives us the opportunity to be as careful as we can to fill our lives with beauty and to share beauty with the world around us. When we observe a day especially set apart for beauty and delight, all the rest of the life is made more beautiful. In a larger sense, the whole practice of Sabbath Uh, Sabbath keeping makes me feel more beautiful. As I spend the day reflecting on the character of God, I'm overwhelmed by his love for me. As I feast upon his goodness in all its beautiful forms, I realize more profoundly that I am special. I'm a special part of his creation and designed especially for his purposes in a uniquely beautiful way. Is the picture coming into focus for us? Sabbath is not a dreary religious duty, but a life-giving time of delight. Because that's often what it's felt like, I think, as we've talked about, like, I've got to stop, I've got to rest, and how do I do this? I've got to, got to organize and restructure things. It sounds like a lot of work to get there, and it just seems like this is a, a, a gift and an opportunity to see life and delight. So how do we do this? This kind of joy seems against the flow, not only of our culture that we're in, but even our, the wiring of our own brains, right? Because some of us, I'll just say, some of us out there that are always looking for just the happiest fun, like this sounds like, oh yeah, this will be great. Because maybe what we're trying to do is escape something, right? Like I'm trying to not deal with my feeling over here. So oh, I'll just keep thinking all the great, wonderful things. And that there's a part of that. But there's a part of this that also, that's why stopping and resting are a part of it, right? It's not just a day of delight. Because if we just delight, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that this is all about something else. So the first thing we have to do is to slow down. Hurry and joy are incompatible. Delight demands that we slow down and savor the goodness of each moment. What if you were at a concert without your phone up to keep the moment for you, that you were just there, and the only place that existed was here? Then what I would have to do to go experience that was to go into my head to slow down, because I can't do that and do a bunch of other things, right? but you don't get to share it with anybody else. I shared it with all those people that were there that time. And now I get to savor on it right here. But I can't do that if I won't slow down and and rest. Delight demands that we slow down and savor the goodness of the moment. It's, It's hard for me. I can be impatient, but I'm in the process of relearning from Jesus how to walk at a slower When I get out of the car to go somewhere, I'm gone. Right, Jill? It's like, (laughs) girls, like, like, most time I look back, it's like, oh, wait, my family's all still, they haven't even closed doors yet on the car. I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta, so I'm ready to get there. Be there, do the next thing, right? Slower pace. To slow down means that things might not get done 
and needs especially might not get met. So I've got to think about that. I must be willing to slow down. Secondly, it will require us to put up boundaries for this time. If you're going to have any time for Sabbath, again, I would encourage you, the work is to give this, a, like, give it a span of time, 24 hours. That does like, the likelihood that any of us have started there with 24 hours is not going to get there, right? The reality is, like, how about I just carve out a morning, a few hours? But we have to put the boundaries there. If not, what happens? Everything starts squeezing in really quickly. Everything starts squeezing in. To enter Sabbath delight will require us to say no to some things in order to say yes to joy. Marva Dawn also writes in her book, we do not know how to feast because we do not know how to fast. Meaning we don't know how to savor each bite of food because a lot of us overeat all week long. We've just been stuffing it in all the time so we've never tasted it and desired it and gone, oh, that's so good. We don't know how to savor a good movie because we binge TV every night. So if it's not just always more, 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 I don't have to savor that, to, to think on it, right? Like there is something to the days when there was an episode one day a week and I had to think about it for a whole week to figure out what, what's been going on if I'm gonna think about it. Wyatt's watching a show right now that he's like, Dad, every one of these episodes ends in a cliffhanger. So I got to start watching the next one. I get it, right? It does. They lead us right there. They lead us to the edge and go, I got to come back next. So I just watch it more. So then I've enjoyed this encounter and it's all over, right? So we've got to put some boundaries up and say, hey, we don't know how to savor. We don't know how to savor our closest relationships because we're over busy. I don't have enough time to just sit and be. Like my favorite meals that I've ever eaten were not done in my car by myself. There's not been any Whataburger meal in my car driving down the road. There's been like some meal I'm gonna mark up and go, that was amazing. But the two meals that come to my mind, we sat down for hours and enjoyed and delighted and savored. And there was nothing that was coming into that time. And it was beautiful and amazing. Part of Sabbath is learning how to slow down our overall life, to live with moderation during the week in order to turn Sabbath into a, a celebration. Hear that again, to slow our life down, to live in moderation during the week in order to Sabbath into to turn Sabbath into a celebration. It will require boundaries during the week and on Sabbath, right? There's an end to everything. It doesn't mean my other days I go as much as I can so that on this day, I, I don't have to do anything. A good beginning place for your Sabbath practice is to make two lists. I will list and I will not list. So this is just real for us right now. Um, Jill and I, as we're preparing for our sabbatical coming up, there's I will things and I won't things. That's a hard thing to start doing because I don't want to do that because I want to narrow it down because what if maybe it's like, no, I need to start saying there's things I will do, things I will not do. And it helps us to give clarity like that. So we begin to think about what will we do with people, right? Maybe I'm going to spend time with my family. We'll sleep. We'll pray. We'll be together. We'll feast. We'll celebrate. Those are the things we're going to do. Here's the things we might not do, right? Um, this is a thought of like thinking through a Sabbath. Uh, I'm not going to shop on that day. I'm not going to do work around the house or read news or watch TV. 
But whatever it is, like you have to make the list. Like, because if we don't, then we just encounter things over and over, and then we don't know. So, we, like, and this is a process, right? You're gonna make a list, and things are gonna be on the list now that won't be there later, and things aren't on the list that need to be added. Because we're gonna recognize that's what it is. It's not legalism. It's actually freedom to enjoy the the Sabbath free of care, right? When we have these lists, they help us to be freed from the things. I don't have to worry about it. And it's not trying to do it perfectly week in and week out. It's giving yourself even some grace in that. So if you can't figure out, how do I know if this is a good thing to do or not? It's you run every potential activity through this grid of stop, rest, delight, and worship, right? Is this causing me to stop, right? Is this stopping what I normally do during the week? So if you're a mechanic, and you love gardening, go for it, right? But if you're a landscaper, maybe gardening isn't the thing you ought to do this week. Do something else. Is it resting? Is this actually helping me rest in Jesus? Is this thing helping me delight or does it spark joy? Is it worshiping? Does it connect me more deeply to God? That makes the list easy really quick to start filtering it through there, right? I can worship God in a lot of things. This isn't singularly worship. There's a lot of ways to worship God. There are also a lot of things that keep me from that. So these rules are not burdens, but boundaries to guard the, the Sabbath day from all the ugly, sad, and untrue and to replace it with beauty, joy, and life with God. And lastly, or, or in this, it will require to give yourself joy. The rabbi Reb Zalman recommends to begin Sabbath by saying, today I'm going to pamper my soul. Again, some of this feels to our culture. It's like, oh, that's like so self-indulgent for us to enjoy being with God. For those new to Sabbath, a great question to ask yourself and to give shape to this practice would be, what could I do for a 24-hour period that would bring me deep, visceral joy in God? Like, I'm going to walk out of this day going, I had so much joy in God. Psychologists have a, a label for when you save up a bunch of your favorite experiences for a single moment, um, and they call this, maybe like you would do it on a birthday or anniversary or vacation, they call it pleasure stacking. I'm gonna do all the things that I enjoy. I'm gonna put those all together. I'm gonna make sure I get all those done. Sabbath is a day for pleasure stacking. Just to pamper our soul. Do we know what our souls delight in? Can you think about what is it that deep down in my soul I delight in, like brings me joy? I think we could all think about what my stomach likes, what food I like or don't like, right? Real quickly, right? Because it's easy list to come up and down. But have we taken a moment to even think about what does our soul delight in? So there's all sorts of activities that you can adopt in, in delighting in, right? Feasting is by far the most popular. Um, you'll see things like community. We want to celebrate with the people we love. Many people, and again, I've been posing this question, this question that's in my heart. How can we make our Sunday and our gathering and all that we do in this day be a day that we can Sabbath together? And speaking to another pastor recently, he was like, yeah, our gathering is on Sunday night and it's around a meal. So the whole purpose is that like we're ending this Sabbath with a meal, like to celebrate together what God has done. Like beautiful picture, right? Another way to think about Sabbath activities is gratitude, right? 
uh, evidence, sharing evidences of God's grace? Like, do you have like a gratitude notebook? Am I sharing and remembering the things that God is doing? Am I taking time to recount? Because what do we often do? We just keep stacking all of our fears and worries and we haven't taken time to go backwards and think to how is God blessed in the midst of all this? Another thing to think about is to play. Uh, Dan Allender in his book and many others make a strong case that, that Sabbath is a, a day for play. Look at uh, things like nature, being outside, anything beautiful from forest trails to flower petals, all of it, everything is beauty for the soul. There's so many things, art, poetry, music, singing, dancing, laughter, walking, picnic, flowers, sweets, time with family, friends, the outdoors, watching a sunset, right? You think about it, you see it, and it draws you to it, like that ought to be the thing you're marking and putting in the day. I, I think about this, and I think about even as we go into our summers, we're thinking about our 1MC, and right now the plan for that is to be on Sunday nights. I think this might be a great way for us to like even begin to think about what does that look like to join in this together, to like celebrate, to practice some of these very rhythms in the life of our church and in the life of each other, to begin to celebrate what's going on there, that this might be a celebration of God's goodness and beauty, right? That we take the time to do that. I want to just caution us or bring the reality to this, but that along with us pursuing delight and joy, that sadness comes with us. Because we're not excluded from life. I know Katie's like, oh, oh, don't bring up sadness. I just want the joy and delight, right? I mean, the reality is that sometimes the Sabbath comes in a season of life for us with lots of sadness. And there's often this thing that some of these writers and authors that have studied it call this Sabbath sadness where when we've gotten away and we've let our hearts be quiet and still we start encountering those things that we've been wrestling with. And so there's a sadness to this. The key is not to fight Sabbath sadness or let it discourage you as if the Sabbath is not working, it's broken, but rather to let it pass over you like a wave, to recognize it's here and let it go through. Jesus' desire isn't for us to bypass our pain or to get stuck in it, but to go through it and in time come out on the other side. This is the death and rather resurrection pattern that uh, laid down by Jesus himself, right? The light is not denial of pain, it's determination to move through pain. Like there's a difference of trying to skirt pain, get around pain, go, go over pain, get under pain, but we must go through pain and that's part of the light. Courageously, honestly, and patiently and into joy. This is why Sabbath comes every seven days. To remind us of the goodness of our life with God in all seasons of our lives, including the ones that don't feel very good. Unlike other spiritual disciplines though, a uniqueness to this is that the timing of Sabbath is set by God, not by our own inner spiritual clock that tells us the need, uh, the need of the hour. Sabbath comes at the end of a great week, at the end of a lousy one, when we've finished all of our to-do list and when we've been woefully behind. It's in the summer and in the winter, when all is well and when life is falling apart. It comes to remind us it's okay that we're not okay. 
in those seasons of the dark night where our prayers are unanswered, our dreams are over, and when we feel God's absence more than his presence, the Sabbath comes. And with it, a sense of peace, of trust in God, despite our circumstances, not because of them. Teaching us to delight and even be happy in all seasons of our life, or as Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. So this is the invitation of Jesus, to come and find rest for our souls, to find his six-in-one rhythm of work and rest. There is a time to work, a time to sweat and fast and lament, and there is a time to stop rest, feast, and delight. So to end today, I want, us, I want to read this um, from the prophet Isaiah, promise to us relating to Sabbath. Isaiah 58, 13 to 14. Listen to this. Let it soak over you this morning. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, and from doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph and, and on the heights of the land and to feast in the inheritance of your father, Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this word today that what you have given us in delighting in you, would you stir in our souls a desire to delight in all of who you are, to see you as one that wants to give us delight, not quench it out of us, not to squash it out of us, but to help find it in you. Would our souls and lives find their delight in you? Psalm 37 tells us to delight in you and you will give us the desires of our heart. God, we want to delight in you. Help us. Help us to see and understand the joy and love that comes from you that we might experience as we go against our own desires and our own uh, way that we might see is right and the way uh, against the way of the world around us that wants to lead us into doing more and earning and just rest as loved sons and daughters of the Most High King who looks and said, it is good, it is beautiful. Help us to delight in you. As we go into this time of singing and then into communion, just a question of reflection what is the Spirit wanting you to take from this today? Where is the Spirit at work in you today where He wants to take what you've heard, what He's been saying, whether through my words or just how He's speaking to your spirit? What does He want to say today? I'm going to give us a few moments of silence before we sing this last song.